God, we are so grateful for your word. And God, even for the words that we just uh, sang a few moments ago, God, believing that you will lead us through the darkness and that together we will proclaim that you are the Lord, our God. God, I, pr I pray that we'd be a, a people who go where you send us, um, regardless of the cost, that we would seek to follow you in every aspect, in every area of our lives. God, for the glory of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if your life was a movie, what kind of movie would it be? Do you ever think about this kind of thing? Like when you're bored, like, what would the plot be? Um, who would play you? Uh, would, would anybody actually want to watch? Right? I mean, come on. Some of you have thought about this before. Um, these, are the, these are the kind of things that I, you know, my quiet hours like to think about. Because uh, for me, I mean, let's be honest. My movie would be pretty awesome. Right? Um, I'd be the hero of the story, the, the star, right? The center place. Uh, played, of course, by none other than Justin Timberlake. Um, um, <laughs> Some of you might uh, recall from a couple of years ago the striking similarity. Um, <laughs> I'm bringing something back. Um, we'll just we'll leave it at that. Okay, get that. Yeah, stop, stop. Um, Patrick made me show it again. That was, that was his deal. Um, I know, it's just a joke, okay? I know I don't look, that, I don't look like him at all. Um, he only, frankly, wishes that he looked like me. Um, but for, for me, like, the movie of my life would be, like, Part adventure, uh, part romance, you know, part comedy. And, and certainly, like, at the end, it'd be kind of one of those movies, maybe you've seen them, where, you know, you just, you almost want to, like, stand up and applaud the movie screen, right? Um, as a slight trickle, you know, just down one cheek kind of thing. Um, inspiring you to live better, right? That's, that's my story. Of course, that's what we all want, right? And, Frankly, that's oftentimes what we end up thinking. Um, of course, the reality is my fear is that I'd be more likely to be played by Paul Giamatti, right? You know, the, you know him? Yeah. <laughs> and just be, frankly, poorly written, plotless, boring, pointless, meaningless, and a colossal waste of time. Ah, but I'm sure it'll probably turn out okay, right? Others of you, maybe as you think about this, you... You feel like, man, I'd just be lucky if my, if my life didn't more, look kind of like a, a, a bad episode of Survivor, right? Because everything in your life, you're just trying to keep your head above water. Uh, others of you may, it's just, you know, think, afraid that look a lot like, like Jerry Springer, right? Not, not everybody gets to live on Downton Abbey, right? This sort of idyllic setting in which everything is just sort of going to work out just fine. What would your life be about? Not, not, not what you want it to be about, right? But what is it actually for? Where, where is it headed? And yeah, okay, let's not be naive. Nobody's going to make a movie about any of our lives, right? Uh, and yet, even, even so, is, is your story, is it worth telling? Donald Miller writes, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry when he drove it off the lot and tested the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and, and put on a record so you can think about what you just experienced. The truth is, he says, you wouldn't remember that movie a week later except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. 
but we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to be meaningful. We're all starring in a movie that no one wants to see. And, and the object here, right, it's, it's, not that, it's not that we all just like, need to work harder, uh, write a better story. I mean, most of us, we've, we've tried that, right? That's, that's not the solution. We can't just write a better, ant, a better story. We've got, to, we've got to join a better story. And what if, what if instead of seeing our lives as a movie, what if we saw our life as a mission? Not the, you know, boring, self-centered, choose-your-own-adventure kind of mission, but as, as sent. Like, what if we saw our lives as sent by, by him? I mean, that would that change the story immediately, wouldn't it? A whole new plot and purpose. And I think deep down, I mean, if, if you're familiar with, with church or Jesus, if, um, if you've been following him for any length of time, I think deep down many of us know that that's what Jesus calls us to. I mean, we know that Jesus sends, that he, that he sends us, and yet, man, you, just, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know it to look at our lives, Right? You know, we're just too busy driving the kids to soccer practice or, or trying to get ahead at work or, you know, I'm, I'm too busy playing church or, or trying to catch up on Netflix, right? But what Jesus does in our story today, because you see, we've been, we've been studying the gospel of Matthew for, for several months now. And Matthew, I mean, he's one of the, the earliest, like, source documents writing about the life of, of, of Jesus. And he shows us this morning that to know Jesus, to be a Christian, is to be sent. It's, it's part of the, the very definition of it. And if you remember anything, if we remember anything from this morning, I hope it's this. Jesus sends, like still does, us. And we're going to see this in three ways this morning, that Jesus always sends who he calls. No exceptions. If you belong to him, you're sent. Jesus always sends us toward opposition. Sorry, not away from it. And third, Jesus always goes there first. First, Jesus always sends who he calls. Always sends who he calls. Now, again, we're, we're in chapter 10, and, and this marks another transition in Matthew's writing. We've been, again, it's been several months together. But in chapter 10, we see J Jesus sending out his disciples, calling them to be about the work that he's been doing for these previous nine, nine chapters. And really, chapter 10, it's, it's a complete unit. We're only going to look at the first half of it today, um, the second half next week. Really, this sort of idea, what does it look like for us to be sent by Jesus? And so you can follow along if you want. Again, we're in chapter 10. Um, I'll read certain parts of it. We're going to begin with verse, verse 1. Matthew tells us, And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples. And then Matthew lists them out, but I'm not going to read them. Because, um, I mean, it's, they're kind of boring, frankly. And, no, and I don't mean any disrespect. They're just ordinary guys. Like, there's nothing really all that spectacular. And I don't, I don't want to minimize how extraordinary it would have been to be one of the original 12 disciples, right? Seeing these things firsthand from Jesus. I don't, you know, minimize that a bit. But they're pretty ordinary as individuals. Nothing particularly compelling about any of them. In fact, the one thing that, that holds them all together, right, that they all have in common is that they simply said yes to Jesus. Jesus called them. 
And they said, okay, we're in. Which, I mean, really, if you think about it, means we're not, we're not that different. I mean, sure, okay, we're, we're different. Like 2,000 years and, and just the proximity of, to Jesus. I mean, without a doubt, I, I get all that. And yet, if you're a Christian, don't forget this. That means that Jesus has called you. And you've responded to his call. You've said, yes, I will follow you. And that we have in common with these original 12. And Jesus sends them and us out to do exactly what he's been doing from the beginning. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Okay, we need to locate that contextually for a second there. Because Matthew's made it very clear that when Jesus comes, he comes to the whole world, right? Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, like everybody. Like where there are people, Jesus is for those people. And yet, as the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, Matthew is showing us chronologically that first, Jesus and his, his early disciples, they go to their own countrymen, right? They begin there for a lot of reasons, both just culturally and, and uh, theologically. They, they begin there. Verse 7 then, and, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is the, the short version of Jesus' stump speech, right? That he's come. That the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus has, has arrived, and as a result, everything everywhere changes for everyone. Nothing remains the same. That's, that's his, his message, right? And he goes on, he says, heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. All of which is pretty incredible, isn't it? But essentially, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is everything that you've seen from me over these last few months, everything you've heard me say, that's the stuff you're supposed to be about. That, that's what you've been, been called to do and sent for acts of, of love and mercy. I mean, he's saying, find the vulnerable and care for them. That's, that's who you go after. And again, yes, we, we are very different from the 12, and it's going to look very different for us. And yet, Matthew isn't telling us this just, to, just because we're curious, like how it all happened at the beginning. He's not telling us uh, simply to, to show us historical detail of, of the, the rise of Christianity with these 12. He's showing us to give us a case or a, a picture of what it looks like to respond in faith to Jesus and to go where he has sent us. Because to be a Christian is to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus is to be sent by Jesus. Every Christian is a sent Christian, without exception. I mean, if you look through all the gospel stories, right, or, or this book as a, as a whole, there isn't, there isn't a case in which, you know, believing in Jesus can be somehow separated from enlisting in his mission, from signing up for the things that, that he's called us to. They, they always go hand in hand. And so here, here's where I've been wrestling. A lot. Um, you know, if this is true, right, if, if Jesus sends all of us, then what I've got I've to wrestle with is, is, does my life look sent or does it look settled? You know what, let's just skip this one, right? I mean, who wants to talk about this, right? 
I mean, would, would the movie of my life, would it be more about a mission or about my own comfort, busyness, distraction? Are you sent or settled? I mean, another way of saying this, are you an ambassador, right? Sent with a task or are you a tourist? You know, trying to just gather up the best, the best of every part of life. Are you sent or settled? To be, to be sent is to be invited out of our comfort zones, stretched and challenged. It's to have a purpose bigger than our own, right? The purpose is set by the one who sends us, which only, only makes sense, right? If you're sent, then that purpose is, is assigned by, by another. And so if you're a Christian this morning, where has he sent you? Kids, if you're a Christian... Jesus has sent you to your school. Like, it's not an accident that you're there. To, to Woodland or Millbrook or Forest View or Prairie Trail or Mission Trail or North or Northwest or wherever you happen to go. You're not, you're not there because the state says you have to be there, not ultimately. You're not there because your parents want you to go. You're not there simply so you can get ahead and get a good career, all of which are important, Right? You're there because Jesus has put you there. And he has a purpose for you that's bigger than any of those things. It's not less than those things, but it's certainly more. Friends, it's not an accident, the neighborhood that you live in or the office that you work at, right? It's, it's not an accident, uh, the people that you spend your life with, that you're surrounded by, the, the friends that you've sort of um, become into, come into relationship with over the years, your, your, you know, your golf buddies or your mom's group or your soccer team, right? None of, that, none of that happens on accident. Do you believe that Jesus has sent you there? I mean, maybe, I guess, right? Then why does my life look so settled? Right? I mean, instead of comfort, right? You know, what if it was what if it was missional? Instead of busyness, man, we're consumed with busyness. What if it was intentional, right? Focused action. Instead of being self-centered, what if what if it was other-centered? But if you're sent, if that's who you are, then what has Jesus sent us to do, right? Because I really, I mean, there's probably multiple ways to, to hear this, right? And, and some of you, you, maybe you've gone there immediately. You know the abuse, right? Well, if I'm sent by God to this place, then everybody just watch out kind of a mentality, right? And we're, we're, we love power and we want to take over and be in control. And, you know, we can just end up being arrogant and right all the time, right? Because we think we are. That's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is getting at. What he has for us is the same thing he had for his disciples so long ago, right? We see it with the 12, two things. It's, it's acts of grace and words of grace. Acts, acts of grace. Now, you may, not, you may not have the skills to heal the sick. But you can bring a meal. You can, you can pray with them. I have a hunch nobody in here can raise the dead. It's hard to even imagine what that could have been like, Right? we can listen to the worried. 
meet the needs of others. Sometimes it's a kind word, an act of, of service or generosity, of genuine friendship. Sometimes it's just doing your work well, whatever it is that God has called you to, like Monday through Friday, right? Nine to five, just doing that well. It's a primary place for many of us in which we love our neighbors. Giving ourselves away wherever he has sent us. Acts of grace, but also words of grace. Like them, we're, we're, we're called to proclaim the good news that Jesus has come and that he changes everything. He has sent you to tell those people that you're around. Lovingly, graciously, right? That he has changed you, redefined you. Do the people close to you, do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know why? And, and the difference that it makes for you. Of course, we don't, we don't force it on people. We don't try to make it weird or you know, arrogant or whatever, right? The things that we so often end up doing. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. But if you've met Jesus, if you've actually encountered him, how, how can we not want others to encounter him as well? I mean, if we really believe that there is life and wholeness and, and release from shame and forgiveness, and that there's hope with him, like, how can we not want others to see that and be a part of that? And just imagine if we did. I mean, imagine, like, if all of us here, those, those of us who are Christians, um, at least, what, what if that was just sort of in our, in our continual thought that, that God has sent me here? with all humility and compassion and grace, right? What if, what if tomorrow when you show up at, at the office, right, or at school or at home, or your whatever it is that you give a lot of your time to, what if that was the primary thought in your mind is, okay, Jesus, you have sent me here. And then we just, you know, like acted accordingly, right? Oh, but you know it's not going to be easy, Right? Of course not, and Jesus knows. <laughs> he definitely knows. So take, take comfort in this, the second thing. Jesus always sends us toward opposition. Always. We, we forget that, right? Because we, we live with such comfort, don't we? For, me, for many of us, we, we, we're, we live with power and safety and, and freedom, things, things that, man, we can be really thankful for in, in the right circumstances, but we forget that that's just, that's not the way it works for most people. And we forget that Jesus actually sends us into the, into the problems, into the uncomfortable places, places of, of pain and hardship and brokenness. I mean, you can't miss it from what Jesus says here in verse 16. It's, it's a bit of a, uh, a vivid word picture, to say the least. Verse 16, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Let that sink in for a second, right? Wolves eat sheep. It's because sheep are delicious, right? And wolves are fierce. I mean, Jesus is saying, you're going to be somebody else's dinner. You're going to be devoured. They're going to be those who, who want to consume you, to absolutely destroy you. And more specifically, right, and this would happen for his disciples and it happens today around the world for many, right? He's, you're going to be detained. You're going to be questioned. He gives all these kinds of examples in the verses that follow. You're, you're going to be abused. You're going to be laughed at. Things are going to be taken from you. And some of you will end up being killed because of this. But don't worry, Jesus says. 
fact, the whole sort of theme of, of the rest of chapter 10 and what we'll be talking about next week. I mean, Jesus' real answer to this is, what are you afraid of? The worst they can do is kill you. I mean, that's, that's where he goes. Like, are you kidding? Like, the very worst that can happen is that, is that you can die. And I'm here to defeat death and all that is broken around it. So don't, don't worry about it, right? That's next week, though. Verse 21, though, Jesus says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And again, we think, oh, Jesus, just being Jesus, right? Talking big, exaggerating, trying to impress the crowds, right? Showing off for your disciples, we forget that this is the experience of so many believers for the last 2,000 years in so many places around the world. I mean, even, even for the 12, right? Of the 12 disciples hearing this, being sent, Judas the betrayer hangs himself. John uh, dies in prison, essentially. He's ex- exiled on the island of Patmos. And the other 10 are all murdered in the places where Jesus has sent them. All of them. And so many of his followers after that into the places like sheep among wolves. And yeah, today we live with immense freedom. Um, we at least, I mean, at the very least, we just have to like stop and recognize how rare that is in human history. And, and, and to be so thankful for it. I mean, throughout all, all of the centuries, right, in many cultures today and throughout history, Christians continue to be persecuted. We may have freedom, and we praise God for that freedom, but don't think for a moment it means that Jesus hasn't sent us toward opposition, that, that he hasn't sent us to run into the places of hardship and pain and suffering, the places where we are going to be hated and rejected and despised. You see, no matter who you are, no matter how much freedom or power or control you think you have, The life Jesus calls us to always runs against the grain, runs against the the fabric of of society structures, of the the expectation of what's right and normal. He always always butts up against that. I mean, Jesus Jesus is offensive. I mean, right? Uh, no No matter who you are, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? In every time period, every culture, every race, every ethnicity, every nationality, every gender and age group and sexual orientation, every personality type, every human finds Jesus offensive. And honestly, if he hasn't offended you, it's just because you're not paying attention. I mean, just like listen when he's talking and you will be offended. It's who he is in some ways. And two, two main reasons that he offends us and offends every person. Maybe different in different cultures and different types and all those kinds of things, but offends everyone. Two main, two main reasons Jesus is so offensive. One, with Jesus, it's all or nothing, right? We've seen that in these 10 chapters or nine that we've looked at so far. With him, it is all or nothing. There's no middle ground. There's no halfway. He is either, it's either Jesus or anything else, right? You're either with him or you're against him. I mean, these are the kinds of things that Jesus, that Jesus says. He, he's not... He refuses, I mean, if you listen to his words, he refuses to just be a good teacher or or moral inspiration. That's just not, that's not for him, right? He claims to be the son of God. You can't negotiate with the one who defeats death. But man, I want to negotiate, right? 
Can we like restructure some of these things? Can we like tweak? How about I obey this, but not this, right? That's, that's kind of what we do. Jesus doesn't give us any of those options. We can't say to Jesus like, hey, you know, I really like this part of Buddhism and I really like this part of secular humanism and kind of our cultural identities. And, and, and Jesus, I really like that you rose from the dead because I'd like to do that one day. I mean, who, who wouldn't, right? Um, but Jesus, I'm not going to listen to your sexuality stuff, right? None, none of that is available to us. With him, it is all or nothing. Jesus won't be a hobby or an inspiration, or a self-help plan. He's not going to be a Sunday morning ritual or a personal pep talk. With him, it is all or nothing. And he wants all of us, every part, nothing hidden. And who isn't offended by that? I mean, right? And the second reason, I mean, they're related, is that Jesus claims to be the ultimate judge. He very clearly calls every one of us sinners. All of us. And even, even while many of us would probably say, well, yeah, right, we, we know, we mess up. He goes, he goes further, not just are we sinners, but he makes it very clear that the only way that God could possibly accept us, the only, like there's nothing that you and I could ever do ever to be good enough, to make, to make ourselves acceptable for God. The only way is through faith in Jesus, that he had to come and die and offer us salvation through him or we could ignore him and go to hell. These are the kinds of things that, that Jesus says. Jesus will not be your self-help plan. He doesn't want to renovate your life, right? Tweak it, make it a little bit nicer, a little bit easier, a little bit happier. No, he wants to bulldoze the whole thing and start over. All of it. For all of us. And nobody wants to hear that. So Jesus is offensive. Um, and we're with him, right? Some of you are like, I need to rethink this, right? We're with that guy. And so let, let me ask, um, are you willing to get uncomfortable? Which, let's be honest, is probably the understatement that I could, I mean, it's just, it's almost embarrassing that I chose that as the question when so many cultures in our world today, it's not, it's, just, it's not a matter of like discomfort or feeling awkward or laughed at. It's like property taken away. It's your children disowning you, your parents abandoning you. It's, it's prison and, and death, right? There's no way around the pain, if, not if we're going to be faithful. And the opposition is only likely to increase. But as I said last week, right, my mission is usually about me. It's comfort, happiness, ease, safety. It's how much I want to be liked. Ugh, gross, but man, do I want to be liked. And Jesus says, get ready to be hated. Just get ready for it. Get ready to be laughed at, ignored, marginalized, pushed to the edges. Get ready to be, have stuff taken away from you, maybe, maybe even your life. That's where I'm sending you, Jesus says. Which has kind of got to make you wonder, Right? I mean, doesn't it, like, if that's his mission, and this is my life, like, whose, whose mission am I really on, right? Because if you're not uncomfortable, you're not following Jesus. If following Jesus is easy for you, then you're following the wrong guy. It's not Jesus. 
Because Jesus says incredible things like love your enemies no matter the cost. Care for the vulnerable, like all of them. He commands us to let his values be our values. That, frankly, even our own identities, we don't own those either. They, they belong to him. He is our identity. That our lives should look radically different from everyone else in areas like generosity and humility and patience and forgiveness and, and sacrifice. That we don't retreat in fear, but we stand with the oppressed. We don't run when we're afraid or, or hurt. We run to the problems to bring redemption and, and wholeness. That that's part of who he's called us to be. That we serve, we love, we give ourselves away. So much so, Jesus says, that even our own families might disown us. I mean, talk about one of the idols of, of, our, of our day, right? Frankly, theirs as well, but in just different ways. Family is everything to us. So would you keep following Jesus if your kids, as a result, wanted nothing to do with you? They stopped visiting you? What if, what if you're... Your brother or your sister who you've always been close to now no longer wants anything to do with you because you're with that guy. Your parents disown you. I mean, this happens around the world today, frequently. We will be opposed. We, we will offend. But please don't be stupid about it, right? I mean, Jesus is offensive enough without our help, isn't he? He, didn't, he doesn't, doesn't need our help, and yet for some of us, I just, I, I'm afraid that we're going to hear this and think that we can walk away and just kind of be mean and arrogant and self-righteous, and, you know, we can kind of throw our weight around and all of this, well, they're not going to like us anyway, right? That's, that is not what Jesus is saying. We are opposed because of our message of love and grace and humility, not because of our arrogance or self-righteousness or power grabbing. All that's on us. This is not licensed to be terrible people in the name of Jesus, Right? This is a hard, hard tension, isn't it? And I love that. I mean, Jesus, he goes there. He knows that this is a hard tension for us, that we're going we're gonna to swing between these polar extremes. And so he, he gives us, again, two more word pictures that, frankly, couldn't be much weirder um, or more almost like they're contradictory, right? But he's telling us to hold these two things in tension. He says, look at verse 16 again. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, and innocent as doves. Okay, well, that makes sense. Be like a snake and be like a cute little bird, right? Great, Jesus. In fact, kids, if you're, if you're bored, well, because you're bored, let's be honest, uh, why don't you draw a picture of what it would look like for like one creature to be both a snake and a dove? Got it? And then show me afterwards. You want it? All right, good. All right, way to go, way to go. I want to see it. Because uh, that's, that's what Jesus is saying, right? And so culturally, and that's in that... And that location, right, what he's saying, like, be like a snake. Be prudent, be wise, be shrewd, be careful. Um, don't go looking for trouble. Try to stir up trouble on your own. Be thoughtful in the way that you engage. But if we take it too far, we're going to end up leaning towards self-protection, right? Um, and, and arrogance, as if everything is the worst, and that as if people themselves are all kind of the worst, and it can dribble down to treat cheap cunning and really just become like mean, dominant attack, right? Some of us are snakes, a little too much so. So, be like a dove. Which again, like opposite end of the spectrum, right? Innocent and gentle, without guile or pretense, thinking the best of other people, kind, patient, graceful, and just going in that direction. But again, if we take that too far, we end up 
frankly, just silly, right? Naive and ignorant, irrelevant, unhelpful to anybody, forgetting that we may be devoured in a moment. I mean, it's, it's sort of nice, but kind of like syrupy sweet. So, be like, be like a snake. You feel the tension here? I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable that Jesus, he knows that these are the directions that we go in. And you can see it, right? We either go from being just arrogant and dominant, wanting to take over and control the world, right? Or we just sort of just naive and get trampled on and, and you know, we're, we're ignorant about the problems of the world. We kind of li- we put our head in the sand and think, well, it's really not that bad, right? We're not that broken. I'm not that sinful. And tension, living in this tension, it's always uncomfortable. But again, just imagine if we actually live this out. Loving people well, pursuing them with gentleness like a dove, graciously living with them, all at the same time understanding how broken we are, all of us, how broken our world is, our values, the the way we structure our identities, everything, willing to be opposed and uncomfortable, and yet still focused on the good of those around us. And so maybe that's another thing this week. As you enter into those places where Jesus has sent you, Like, just spend some time thinking through, okay, where do I gravitate towards? Am I more like a snake or more like a dove? And how how do I hold this tension together as Jesus would have us? And frankly, you're probably going to need somebody's help in in looking into that, right? You can't can't do that on your own. Um, Talk to those around you um, and see what it looked like to walk in the middle of both. Jesus always sends who he calls. And he always sends us toward opposition. There's just no way around it. Life with Jesus is not the easy life. It's not the safe life, the comfortable life. His definition of the happy life, as we saw back in the Sermon on the Mount, is radically different than ours. He throws everything upside down. But take hope. Here's the final thing. Jesus always goes there first. Always. Like He he never makes us go places he's, he's unwilling to go. Right? I mean, you've, all, you've all known those people, those, those, those friends who are like, oh, you know, I'll, I'm right behind you kind of, kind of people like, who point, like, you need to go this way, but I'm going to be back here safe and secure in my own little thing. Jesus doesn't do that. It's always him leading first. He always goes to those places first. The difference is it was we who opposed him, who rejected him, that he came to rescue us and we killed him for it. Yet even so, I mean, do you see how his own life parallels what, what he's saying here? He was sent by the Father. He was opposed by humanity. And yet he came. His blood spilt for this mission. Pain for all of our sin, all, all the shame, all the brokenness, all of it on the cross with his own death. And he rose again so that he could offer us life and wholeness so that we could truly be forgiven and begin to live within his redemptive patterns for our world to to care about others in a way that's that's deeper, more profound, that pursues them, not not for ourselves or on our own terms, but um, for him and for his glory. And this is what we have to offer the world. It's not our arrogance or our self-righteousness. It's not our list of rules or our ability to, to be politically savvy or to, to take control. or any, it's, it's not it. All we have is Jesus. That's it. That's, that's all I have. And yet, somehow he's enough. And with nothing but him, 
Jesus sends you. He sends us. And that story, his story, that is a story worth telling. Let's pray. Oh God, we need your help. There are so many ways that we can go terribly wrong in even trying to obey what you call us to. God, I pray that you would stretch us, you would call us out of our comfort, out of our settled lives to understand that you have sent us and all the places that we go and the places in which we spend our time, every area of influence, God, that you have put us there. I pray that we would recognize that and that we would act accordingly, always with grace and humility. And God, I pray that even as we live within this tension, would you show us the ways in which we are too much like snakes or too much like doves? And instead, God, I pray that we would follow your example and live as you have designed and created us to live for the good of our world and for the good of uh, your plan. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that even when we fail, there is forgiveness for us. And so may we rejoice now in your great salvation.